Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast brought to you by Lindenwood University's Hammond Institute for Free Enterprise. Examining market approaches to help solve economic and social issues, Hammond.Institute. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Social media has its ups, but it certainly has its downs, too, especially when it comes to cyberbullying. It's a real problem around the country as kids have taken their bullying out of the schoolyard and put it online via text, tweet, and video. Some youngsters have been so traumatized that they've taken their own lives, as 13-year-old Megan Meyer did in St. Charles in 2006. You'll remember that. We'll be talking with her mother in a few moments, but we'll begin with two St. Louis Public Radio News staffers who have taken a close look at the bullying issue, education reporter Ryan Delaney and digital engagement producer Lindsay Toller. The bottom line seems to be that it's a lot easier to spot the bullying than it is to stop it, and that seems to be the gist of your story, Ryan. Yes. uh, a mother from St. Louis County reached out to me uh, a few weeks ago with uh, what seemed like a uh, what could seem like an excessive case of um, fighting a, a social media platform and trying to get uh, an account taken down. But um, after talking to some people, uh, you know, her situation was not uh, that uncommon. Um. Why was it so difficult to uh, to get any action on her complaint? Well, in this case, uh, an Instagram account was created that was uh, impersonating her son. Um, and it, I, I think the crux of the issue is just how hard it is for uh, parents or social media producers or even uh, or users rather, or even schools, educators to get mm-hmm. through to these social media companies to get to a person. Um, to try to get um, something that is harmful taken down. What uh, what was the source of the bullying in this particular case? Uh, this was an account that uh, was created using a, a taunting nickname of uh, of the child. Um, it, it seems like it was created by other students at the school, although um, the school, the parent, uh, even the police at this point don't know who actually was doing this. Um, and that's another aspect, too, of how hard it is to actually get to the source of these. Uh, but the um, the account used a, a taunting nickname, um, some pictures of the student, uh, one from a, a health class video um, that's widely taken out of context from a, you know, actually an anti-drug video class project um, to kind of make it look like he, uh, this child was using drugs, um, other kind of pictures from uh, just being in the hallway or in class, and then just some very sort of perverse and, and homophobic images taken online, just kind of memes um, posted with, with comments on them. Um, so just things that, uh, you know, basically a, a lot of implications about this kid being something and someone that he is not and, and just sort of uh, making fun of him. Traumatized, too, mm-hmm. uh, too difficult a word or, or too uh, a harsher word to use in this particular case? No, uh, I don't think so. Obviously, you know, instances like this, um, you know, in terms of its severity, it's in the eyes of the beholder. And this is something that was incredibly upsetting to this family, um, which is incredibly understandable. Um, you know, he, he didn't join um, the extracurricular activities that he had in past years, uh, you know, not wanting to go to school, not wanting to talk to friends, being very hypersensitive, hypersensitive to his photo 
being taken or being in any other videos for class projects. So, right. it, you know, it, it kind of creates this just sort of this cloud over you. Lindsay, you keep close watch on uh, on social media. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing, do you see much of this? Is there a whole lot of this going on out there? Certainly, especially for teens. Um, teens are most likely to be on Snapchat and Instagram, and this is I, I mean, I would say that teens are being bullied pretty constantly on those two platforms. Um, I mean, if you think about it, those platforms are places where teenagers are able to gather without any other moderation or adult oversight. And think about when you were a teenager having a conversation with your friends away from the teacher, it, it could get uh, kind of nasty and bullying. But in this, now kids are able to use technology in a way. Uh, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm thinking about. Uh, the kid in Ryan's story, he was able to see see the account and the and the the bullying account, which is really sad. There are also other kids who they don't find out about it until somebody shows them, and they're you know they're blocked from accessing an account that's bullying them. Um, so they don't even really know what's going on there. They just hear the whispers at school, for example. There, there's another element too that's uh, very important. That is anonymity. Mm-hmm. A lot mm-hmm. of these anonymous sites. Go- Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think that kind of creates an opportunity potentially for kids. And I mean, this happens with adults too. Saying things uh, online, it's much easier to type out a comment or to share a picture um, saying something very hurtful uh, or or demeaning that uh, you wouldn't necessarily say to someone's face. Mm -hmm. So it creates sort of this degree of separation. I'd like to bring another voice into this conversation right now. We'll do that. Joining us by phone is Tina Meyer. As I mentioned earlier, her 13-year-old daughter, Megan, took her own life in 2006 after she was bullied online. Tina established the Megan Meyer Foundation a year later to wage a campaign against cyberbullying. It now has an international reach, by the way. Tina joins us from St. Charles. Tina, thanks for being with us. Nice to talk to you. Thank you for having me. How well do you think we're doing on the basis of your own research and your own involvement? Uh, how well are we doing in, in combating or trying to combat cyberbullying? I think that we're doing a better job educating children um, and teens. I think where we're lacking is certainly with adults, um, getting adults to understand um, and educators to understand, parents to understand that a lot of times what happens with this is either we underreact or we overreact. And so what we're doing is a lot of times with kids, they will be they will be more understanding, understanding how the process works, but parents panic. And when they panic, it can cause a lot of other things to start unraveling. So I think um, there's a lot of work to be done still. Um, you know, I think educating parents is essential. Um, the thing is, is that we can get to kids much easier because they're in school. And so if schools are required to have, you know, anti-bullying and cyberbullying um, seminars and education and awareness, we can get to them. The harder part is being able to get to parents to get them when this happens, what to do, how to handle it, who to contact. And so those are things that we keep trying to look at ways to really try to help parents navigate through this. Yeah, be a little more specific, if you would, on what parents can do. So, one, when this happens, I think that many times when your child is hurt, we get hurt. We get upset, and we want immediate um, action to be taken, of course. No one wants your child to go through what this child has gone through, being called names and 
the hateful things that are out there, especially when you see your child, you know, behavior changing um, when they're not wanting to go to school or, or hang out with friends or be in extracurricular activities. That is really hard. Um, what we talk to parents about is one is, is truly taking a deep breath before you automatically, automatically react, um, talking to your child to find out, okay, what is going on? Explain to me who's, you know, the situation, because a lot of times parents don't understand the whole entire social media site. So they might not understand Instagram or Snapchat or the different things. So we ask them to, to get that information. Then we talk to them about, okay, instead of panicking in front of the child, say, listen, let's, let's talk about what we can do. We're going to, one, we're going to report it. Let's look at where we report it. So reporting it to the Internet service providers, which this family did do. Um, they're not going to be able to get a hold of an individual person there because there's, quite frankly, too many accounts that are open, real and not real, that they do not have enough staff at Instagram and all of these places to be able to deal with all of the, the issues that are coming through. So they're going to get an automated response like they did. Um, once they... but talking to people at Instagram, they have to be able to report it first. Once they report it, then it's to be able to make sure and get all of the evidence. So that is taking screenshots of everything that is there. A lot of times we want to delete it really quick and get rid of it because we don't want it on there, but we need evidence. We need evidence to be able to show if it's repeated and all that information if it continues. Um, the other part that we work with families a lot is once they get that information, if it's happening outside of the school, the school is not going to be able to, first of all, they can't go and investigate these situations. They don't have that legal ability. Um, but also, we do want to make sure that if it's happening and they know it's happening between other kids, is yes, bring that documentation to the school and let them know what's going on. Um, but, but if it's something that is beyond their ability, they're going to tell you to contact the police or speak to a school resource officer. Let, let me just stop you right there, Tina, for a moment, because mm -hmm. these are elements of Ryan's story mm -hmm. I'd like to have him address, yeah. because uh, going to the police didn't uh, seem to do much good, and neither of the school. Well, that's not to say that the, the school district and uh, the, the police department in this case did not and are not trying their hardest. Um, and, and first of all, everything that uh, Tina has said is exactly what experts I spoke to uh, also repeated in terms of the reaction and the response to this uh, that parents can do. But um, I, I talked to someone at the Parkway School District who heads the IT department, and he is also equally frustrated that school districts um, and educators don't have um, an avenue to get through to a human at Facebook any f or Instagram or, or you know, Twitter or whatever uh, in a faster way than a parent does. Um, he, he told me um, that, you know, that's the biggest piece missing from this, you know, from his point of view. Um, police departments can file subpoenas. They definitely have some tools that a, a school district or an individual parent does not have. Um, but, you know, that might show where location-wise um, something might have been posted from. But, you know, that can lead to maybe just, a, you know, a bank of computers at a library or a, a hotspot at a public place. Um, and people um, are increasingly getting better at hiding their footsteps, covering their traces online. So that is even uh, an increasing aggravation for police departments. But, but Lindsay, doesn't everybody using a computer have an IP address, uh, some way for, uh, by which that computer can be identified? Oh, sure. But it's easy to get around it. 
That's how uh, when when I was an intern in China, that was how I still got American news. Was you just get you know you can just get around the IP address and and pretend like it's coming from a different place. Um, and I mean, kids these days are, are are totally able to do it. All you have to do is go online and buy a license. Um, so there, it's you know, it's tough. I I what I keep thinking about is the difficulty of getting in touch with somebody at a at a social media platform. I can barely do it. And I'm reporting on them. You know, I'm I'm trying to ask some questions that are I'm about to like publish stories about. I can't imagine being an individual parent trying to get somebody at, at Facebook or Instagram to care about you know just my kid being bullied, my one kid. Is that intentional? Do you I think, think they're isolating themselves and insulating themselves from the public? I think that I think that these social media companies are run by engineers, and they really want to have a technical problem, a solution for this. They want to come up with some like machine learning to identify all these hurtful things and, and, and have a filter for them. And the, and the truth is we just haven't seen any sort of technology that could do that yet. There's yeah. also the volume of this, which Tina mentioned too. But, you know, there's millions and millions and millions of accounts and thousands and thousands of reports <laughs> of inappropriate content every single day day, it would take uh, a call center the size of Missouri to, to field that many calls. And uh, Lindsay, you've had some interesting uh, contact with regard to artificial intelligence being used to, to try to track down some of these things. And that has its pitfalls, too. It does. What they're they're trying to use artificial intelligence to identify. I mean, the things that you're looking for on, in online content are spam, porn, hate speech, terror, and bullying. Um, they, we can teach a machine how to identify spam. We can teach an, a machine how to identify child pornography or terrorism. It is really hard to teach a machine how to identify the interpersonal relationship between like two ju- junior high boys who are bullying each other. That's a, a whole different thing. Tina, this has got to be very, very frustrating for you as long as you've been at it and given the tragic circumstances under which you got into it to just uh, keep finding these kinds of roadblocks. You know... It is frustrating, but there, you know, there is progress. Um, I think one of the things is, you know, because I know everybody was talking about how hard it is to get in touch with anybody at Instagram. And I guess I I really always thought that schools did have contacts. That's one thing I really was not aware of because our foundation, we have contact with the uh, global safety um, programs manager at Facebook and Instagram. So I can contact her um, when we have a family that calls and says, hey, listen, this is what's going on on Facebook or Instagram. Then we always require them to report it. Once they report it, to send us the screenshot, and then we will take it, and then we will forward it and escalate it to the case to this global safeties manager. Um, and then we will get, if it's something that is violating the terms of service, then they will respond to me, you know, directly or give me a call and let me know that it's being taken down. So those are things that we do have at our foundation. Now, if we send something up and they are saying, listen, it's not violating the terms of service, then they're not going to be remove it. Most of the time, everything we send up does get removed quickly. Um, so that is definitely one thing that we need is, especially at schools, their IT department definitely needs to have contact with a specific person at these places. Um, but I think one of the things that we're seeing so often is is that information and awareness and education is absolutely essential. All of the laws, all of the things that, and policies that we have in place are wonderful. They are there as a safety net. But if we do not continue to keep you know, promoting safety on social media sites, talking to parents about what to do and how to deal with it, 
that is probably one of the biggest things that we do at our foundation is really kind of talking parents down and getting them to take a deep breath and letting them know that what they're going through is not okay, that they're not alone, but here are some steps. And so we really work with them walking through those steps so that they feel that they have, okay, somebody understands what I'm going through. I'm not not just a parent who's overreacting, that this is a, is not okay. And we also talk about the, the welfare of the child. How are they doing? Do they need to maybe talk to a counselor? Where are they at? So that they also can make sure that they're getting the help because these things that are happening, it can happen one or two times and it can be so traumatic for these kids that they start isolating themselves. And it, they, to them, it feels like the whole world is seeing all of these things out there. They don't realize that maybe it's only 10 or 20 kids. They feel like the entire school and the neighboring schools and everybody sees this, and so they really struggle with that happening. But it's why we keep pushing forward and we, why we keep, you know, uh, are here to help families and help kids in schools ultimately. Okay, well, uh, we'll put a link to your website, by the way, on our website at stopublicradio.org so people can follow up on that. Atina, I want to thank you for being with us. Our time is winding down, and I'll just say goodbye in a moment to, uh, to Ryan and Lindsay. But thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. I appreciate it. I wonder what the chance uh, would be, Ryan and Lindsay, uh, of, of, of more rules and regulations and law, Internet law, uh, having an impact on this. It would seem to me to be very difficult to write. Perhaps, Lindsay, you would know more about that than certainly I would, and maybe perhaps Ryan. Uh, it sure seems tough, uh, especially considering the multinational nature of these social media corporations. Oh. I mean, um, while, while we're here talking about the very real problem of cyberbullying in Missouri, uh, you know, Facebook is accused of allowing flat-out genocide in Myanmar. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there are really big problems that they're facing. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't see a, re- a way around it as long as what, our, like, the majority of our social media coordination is happening over huge corporate-owned entities. Yeah, Ryan, we could write the law here in this country, but it doesn't apply, you know, in the U.K. or China. Absolutely. I, I think there's a, a large conversation happening right now around privacy in terms of data privacy in, in the Internet and social media. Um, I would tend to think that in terms of, you know, things like bullying, those sort of terms of service and rule enforcement is going to have to happen by the platforms. Yeah. Interesting subject. It's not going to go away quickly or easily. There's no question about that. Lindsay Toller, thank you for being with us. Thanks. Ryan Delaney, thank you. You're welcome. We'll remind folks that uh, your story that we've been talking about we uh, started this conversation with has been posted today and it's our website at stlpublicradio.org. Thank you both. You're Have welcome. a great weekend. Thanks. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU.